What is going on, everybody? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Bullpen Cart presented by Thunderblogsports.com. It is a solo pod covering the post-All-Star break baseball. We look at the Home Run Derby, the All-Star game, the first weekend back to start the second half. It was a lot of fun to record. Cannot wait to hear what you all think. We also had some quick hits at the end. Talked expansion draft, name, image, likeness in college sports. A little bit of the NBA Finals. A little bit of the Olympics. Cannot wait to hear what you think. As always, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, The Bullpen Cart, at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Mash that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. Subscribe on Twitter, ThunderPLG. Follow on Instagram, ThunderBlogSports.com. And enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think in the comments. Have a great weekend. And here we go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bullpen Card Podcast, presented by Thunderblogsports.com. A solo show this week. We skipped last week because of the All-Star Game. It's also been an incredibly busy couple weeks for me work-wise, and it's an incredibly busy time for Greg and Mark. That's why it's just a solo show. We will be back next week with an expansion draft recap that's going on in about an hour from when I'm recording this. It's Wednesday evening, but we're talking baseball here. And I mentioned it last week was the All-Star break. So let's start with that, the recap. But just to go through the rest of the rundown, what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Do a little All-Star game recap in a second here. The first weekend back, see what's happening, if there's any clear buyers, sellers, all that sort of stuff. Little division-by-division breakdown. Talk about the Phillies. Then we have some quick hits to wrap up. That's going to be a lot of fun. But let's get into the All-Star break and what happened there. The Home Run Derby, first and foremost, was the shining star of the break, as it has been since this new shot clock, whatever you want to call it, timed Home Run Derby has come into play. It was awesome. Pete Alonso ends up winning, but we had all these different storylines going on. Trevor Story ending up being the the hometown hero. We had, obviously, Pete Alonso defending his title after a year off. Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto, who Juan Soto comes in there and had kind of a kind of a slow first half and ends up coming out of the gate flying after the, the home run derby, where he claims the home run derby helped him fix his swing, upsets Otani, who ends up starting the game. They changed the DH rule for him. But overall, an absolute success for the home run derby at Coors Field to the point that We're seeing moonshots that are going into the triple deck for left-handed hitters. We're seeing righties get it all the way out to the concourse on top of those right field or left field bleachers. It was just incredible to watch. And if you're not sold on the timed home run derby at this point, I mean, that should have done the trick. And if you're not anymore, I guess you're not going to be. If you miss the 10 outs, I could see a world of it, of making the swings count. But it was such a drag and a, I don't want to say a death march, but it was so slow. And 
kind of boring because there was the taking pitches. It had to be right down the middle. It had to be perfect. All that sort of stuff. This you just swing. They took away the rule that the ball had to land because that had been so controversial. And this just makes sense. Make it more fun. Make it be... Make it be entertaining, and that's what they did here. They accomplished that goal Major League Baseball did, something they did right, frankly. Um, Rob Manfred came out talking about different rules that he wants to do away with, like the seven-inning doubleheaders, like the runner-on-second rule and extra innings. I am a big fan of taking away the runner-on-second rule. I think we've talked about this a number of times, of how dumb that rule is. Seven-inning doubleheader. I don't totally hate. I'd be fine with nine inning games for doubleheaders, but still keep doubleheaders. You know, that'd be fun. You're going to probably get back to the traditional day-night doubleheader instead of just back-to-back games. I like the traditional doubleheader. It's cool. And the seventh in- or seven innings, get it that you can do those, but also not have it be these six-and-a-half, seven, eight-hour affairs that you know drag on. And if you're a little kid that has school, especially in April, May, September especially the September ones where now you're really you're trying to save bullpen arms and all of that sort of stuff. I kind of get the the concept of a doing a day night doubleheader, give bullpen guys closers, set up men a little time of some some downtime there and make it so that it's one gate, make more money, blah blah blah. But I don't know, it, it's cool the the natural doubleheader that's set up in a uh, in that sense, but I know a lot of people don't like the seven inning doubles headers. We've had the no nos that don't count, but that's it's one one way or the other. I'm not going to be upset either way. The universal DH is back on the table, which I feel like eventually is going to go through. As an NL guy, I've never I used to really be against it, but now it's with how much we're investing in bullpen arms, it, it only makes sense to really get there. Um, but with guys like Otani. You know where the where he has to be the pitcher when he's pitching and batting, instead of just a DH like he got to do in the All Star game. You know we might maybe see more of those. I don't know. He's a once in a generation talent, and he proved it in the actual All Star game itself. He started the game. He got to be the DH a little bit. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ends up winning the MVP. He and his dad, being one of three father son duos to have All Star game MVP honors, which is just really fucking cool. Um, they showed pictures of him as a little kid there. And speaking of little kids, if you didn't see this, Freddie Freeman's son wanted his dad to make the all-star team so he could meet Fernando Tatis. He ended up getting to meet him. He got an autographed Tatis jersey. Just really cool to see that kind of stuff. And again, it's, you know, the boys of summer, a kid's game, whatever you want to say. And that's what it was. It just felt fun. The fact that the game isn't for World Series home field. I know that's been a, a few years now that they've been doing that. But there's just a more fun aura around the all-star game i'd love to see go back to Coors field sooner than later i know they want to showcase all the different stadiums and they've been to a number of them throughout the years and obviously they want to showcase new ones and yeah that's all good and dandy but Coors field was cool the home run derby there was pretty awesome um we also had the mlb drafted couldn't really give you a lot of a breakdown of that i heard on a couple different outlets that it was kind of dumb that they did it the weekend before the All-Star game and during the NBA Finals, they're just dropping all that sort of stuff. But what I've heard is that people want to do picks during the Home Run Derby, which would actually be pretty cool. It'd be awesome to see. You'd actually get people hearing more about the players, especially if it's all on ESPN again, which the College World Series has been. You get to rehear those names. It, it kind of 
creates that synergy. So who knows if that ends up happening? It's all really on podcasts that I heard this and, and on Twitter. So it wasn't really your reporters saying this is something that's going to happen or any serious names, not like not, not like a Jeff Passan or anything like that. But it's all pretty awesome. And I think hopefully we're getting to a better space. It's a weird way to say space. Better space with baseball. <laughs> and that the game continues to grow. I know that Manfred has really bungled a lot of different rules to try to appeal it to people that don't like baseball and all of that sort of stuff. But with guys like Otani as the face of baseball, <coughs> Stephen A. Smith and guys like Tatis and, you know, more and more guys that are appealing to young kids, appealing to just mass audiences. If they can figure out a way to promote them, and not, granted, these two guys play on the West Coast, so does Mike Trout. You figure out a way to get these guys to really be national name brands, which I think they're already doing a great job of, considering how much time Otani's gotten talked about. Tatis, has, he's on the cover of the show. He has all these different commercials. They're doing, I think they're starting to do a better job with all of this sort of stuff. So we will have to see how this continues to go and if they continue to boost that with their various talents there. Uh, the actual game itself, the AL one, it, you know, ends up, it was a, it was a good game. It not a ton of breakdown there, but we go in to the sec, the first weekend of the second half. And some teams came out of the gate ice cold. Some teams came out of the gate red hot. The Detroit Tigers who will jump into in a second have not lost a game since the all-star break ended, which is pretty crazy, although they're playing the Twins and the Rangers, but we're going to do a little around the horn style, division by division. We're going to go East, Central, West in the AL, then NL West, Central, East, wrap up with the Phillies. So AL East, not too much has changed. The Rays are clawing their way towards the Red Sox. They're half a game back right now. Uh, It's worth noting there's a number of different games that either happened today or that are still going on. So some of this is going to be inaccurate because there are games tonight that are going to happen when I quote games back and all this sort of stuff. Again, it's Wednesday around, now it's around 7 o'clock. But we will go from there. So just you'll bear with me with that. There's going to be games that are starting literally in two minutes. But the Red Sox now a half game up on the Rays. Then we got the Toronto Blue Jays and New York Yankees, seven games back currently each. Yankees have played two more games. So they are seven games back, but technically, because of percentage points, have a lower winning percentage, I guess. So they're below the Toronto Blue Jays, although they have more wins, um, I guess, because we're over the halfway mark. Regardless, it's math. Then the the Orioles have been out of it for a while, three and seven in the last ten. Yankees starting to catch up. They took two or three from the Red Sox. Bit of a COVID scare, which is still affecting the Yankees. I'm going to jump into this with the Phillies, both how it's affected the Yankees and what we saw on Monday, but also really because it's affecting the Phillies too. So I'm going to save the COVID vaccine-related stuff for when I talk about the Phillies. But Yankees, despite that, take two out of three from the Red Sox. They beat the Phillies on Tuesday night. Um, And this is a, you know, put-up-or-shut-up time for them, I feel like, that they are, once those guys come back from COVID protocol, whether it's them just being exposed or positive tests, it's a real moment to see what this team is all about because their offense is severely lacking. They've scored less runs than the Baltimore Orioles, the team that's 26 games out of first place. 
would be far and away one of the worst teams in baseball, if not for a potentially historically bad Arizona Diamondbacks team. But they are last place in the American League, the Orioles are. But to keep this on the Yankees, they when they're at home, and, and we saw this last night against the Phillies, they're just a different team, and they know how to get it done there. They have an above 500 record. They have an above 500 record in general. They're 49 and 44, so it's a very good AL East. So the next 10 days until the All-Star or the uh, trade deadline, we're really going to see what they can do in terms of can they move guys, can they find some different pieces to figure out what they want out of it. Um, Not even just COVID, but like DJ LeMahieu hasn't totally gotten it going yet, and we just have to see what he ends up doing. And it'll be very interesting to see what this team does because the other three teams that are ahead of them or technically one team's tied with them, but they all have guys that are really smashing the baseball and getting it done with whether it's raised type baseball of guys that just generate runs. And there are some guys on that team that hit homers Toronto with the electrifying offense that they have. And then the Red Sox who have just been awesome putting up a ton of runs. Greg talked about this a couple weeks ago to make up for a pitching staff that hasn't necessarily been stellar. They've let up the second most runs in the American League East behind the aforementioned terrible Baltimore Orioles. But the the Red Sox have done a really good job of just putting up runs to outpace any sort of shortcomings that their pitching staff has done with it. The Yankees, I think, just need to see what happens when they get healthy. They've won all these different games games and they have an above 500 record they took two of three from the Astros never wants to talk about Altuve hitting the home run right before the all-star game taking his shirt off and all that sort of stuff but they've the only series they've lost so far in July is against the Mets and you know they're at least going to tie the Phillies the Phillies are doing a bullpen game tonight so we'll see what happens in that game again we'll talk about the Phillies in a little bit but then they go on a road trip. These have all been at Yankee State. Actually, no, they haven't. They went out to Seattle, and then they were in Houston. Uh, but they go out on a road trip. They play four at Fenway, three in Tampa, and then they play the Marlins, who are really starting to falter. But that's the rest of their July, and we'll have to see what the Yankees do because I think in the next 10 days, we're going to really have an idea of what this team does. That July 31st game, you, you're going to see a completely different Miami team because there's players that they could probably sell for something and see what they do. But it'll be really interesting to see how this division shakes out with the trade deadline. Red Sox are in a really good spot. The Rays are going to ray. <laughs> but the Yankees, we'll see what they end up doing. The Blue Jays are exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, but let's jump over to the AL Central, which right now is in a huge shock that it's become... The White Sox show and what they're doing. They are currently 8-2 in their last 10 games. Now 9.5 games up on the Cleveland Indians. The Tigers, I mentioned it, have not lost a game since the All-Star break. But they are 13.5 out. They're under 500. The Indians sit at 47-45. The Twins, ice cold. Not sure what's going on with them. Their pitching staff is really blown up. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, they obviously also, too, have had a lot of injuries. Byron Buxton was a big one. But let's talk about the White Sox here, and then we'll keep moving. They are a very good baseball team. Their pitching staff is awesome. Their starting staff has been incredible. We've talked about this a bunch throughout the first half. The fact that, really, they haven't had any serious injuries on the pitching side of things. 
uh, on the offensive side of things, they are, you know, fighting various little different injuries. They have, or maybe not little injuries, but various injuries, you know, Luis Robert has been hurt since May. Eloy Jimenez has been hurt since the beginning of the season. Yasmani Grandal went down right before the All-Star break. So they're in a position kind of like the Dodgers a few years ago where they could add a few different guys to make up some of those different holes and the pieces for the playoff push. Unlike that Dodger team, they only have the one trade deadline to do it. So the White Sox are a team that over the next 10 days, we're going to hear a lot about of rumors of guys that they may be trying to acquire, what they end up doing. They're playing the Brewers this weekend. They have one more game against the Twins. You'll know how that is by the time this podcast is dropped. But then they play the Royals, and then they play the Indians. So by the time the All-Star break goes around, or the trade deadline, sorry, All-Star break is still on the brain, this team could be well above double digits in their own division, and now just trying to fine-tune the pieces for the playoffs and see where they can go from there. This is a team that's very smartly put together, and we will see how they continue to go. The rest of the division, I'd love to give some credit to, but it's kind of tough. It's catching up to them in terms of whether it was the Royals' hot start. We talked about this before. The Twins' pitching staff being awful, but good on the Tigers for winning five games in a row. Seriously, it's awesome that they're able to to get something like that done, have these different little stories that pop up from it. So they would be the hot team of the week if we were doing that with Greg. Uh, But let's keep it moving. AL West, the Astros continue to play great baseball. They now have a a three-and-a-half game lead on the Oakland Athletics, who would be a wildcard team right now. Head and shoulders above the third-place team, who's the Seattle Mariners, who good for them that they're still hanging out here despite a negative 52 run differential and they're six games above 500. That is insane to look at. But the Astros, to talk about them, they're a team who, kind of like the White Sox, are in talks for different different pitchers, different moves. Hilariously, Scherzer is thrown out as a potential target of theirs, which is just funny with the World Series a couple years ago and how that all shook out especially with the Trastros and all that sort of stuff. But this team offensively is a juggernaut. They, granted, get a a little bit of an advantage getting to play teams like the Rangers and Angels, who aren't very good. The A's are having a good season, obviously, but they're even playing well against them. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see what ends up happening in this division. I'm hoping that the A's hang on. Seattle, I'm not as hopeful for. The A's could add some players, though. Their pitching staff also has been very good. Chris Bassett is having an incredible season so far. Guys like Matt Olson are playing awesome. They have some prospects that they've called up recently. So we'll have to see. Really, the scare if you're an A's fan, and and by extension if you're a Mariners fan, is what's going on in the AL East. Because if one of those teams starts to falter, whether it's the Blue Jays, whether it's the Yankees, I'm just using them because they're in third and fourth right now, and the, that uh, those other two teams really start to press it, really hit on the gas, like if Toronto slows up and the Yankees, their offense is healthy and they figure it out, that's dangerous for the AL West teams because the Rays, Red Sox, they look like they're in some form of a driver's seat right now where they just need to play solid baseball and keep going as we end 
end July, go into August, and then really see where the pennant chase really starts to develop. But it's going to be really, really important to not let off the gas pedal because for any of these teams, whether you're the A's, Seattle, those AL East teams, because once you start to, and that blood is in the water, for one, for Seattle, it becomes something where Houston and Oakland could go just a mile ahead of you, and then you're completely done. Same thing with Oakland. If they slip up at any point, granted, they're a very good road team and a very good home team, but they, you know, you still need to be wary there. They've played an extra game also on top of the athletics. That's, I guess, important to note. Granted, it's July 21st, so they're all going to play 162 by the end of the season. But it's, you know, right now... The game in hand, I think, matters a little bit for a team like Houston. You're in first place. You're a very good offensive team, one of the best in baseball, the best currently. And you have a very good pitching staff. You might add some guys to make it better like you have in the past. So the A's need to really just stay on that gas pedal, keep pushing. They have a really good bullpen that really helps them a ton. And I think it's just huge. So... The AL right now is becoming a really intriguing story. The Central, once again, kind of like when those Indians teams were really good in the mid-2010s, has really started to become a one-team story. We'll talk about the White Sox, I'm sure, because of various moves they make, especially around the trade deadline. But in August and September, they're going to be a really good team. They're going to probably be fighting for some form of home field in the first round. Right now, they'd be the top seed in the AL because they played one less games than Houston. But regardless, you know, granted, they're a game ahead of the Red Sox. So it's not anywhere like where there's two teams getting in. Maybe the second seed, the central winner, is, you know, the secret underdog to the third seed. Like we've seen a couple different times. Uh, but regardless, we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves here. We'll, we'll talk all about that. We still have an entire second half ahead of us. Let's go over to the NL, though. We're going to start in the NL West again, go west to east, San Francisco Giants are now a game ahead of the Dodgers, and they've been playing over the past week, and this Giants team, speaking of teams, to not let it get off the gas pedal, they played the the St. Louis Cardinals over the weekend in St. Louis, win the first game pretty handily, lose the next two. They're now in L.A. for a four-game set, Game three just tonight. You'll know what it is if they're now down in the series, up in the series, whatever. They win the first game. Then a wild game last night. They end up losing it. And any and all games that you can beat the Dodgers in, and I get it if you split this series at Dodger Stadium, that's huge. But any and all wins that you can get and this 8-6 loss may come back to be something where they're wondering, you know, what was the deal here? We let up three runs in the ninth inning, a blown save. I don't know. It's something where they're going to be maybe looking back on that soon, where they're like, shit, this is an opportunity that we could have made up on this division and, or not even made up to give ourselves a buffer. Cause the Dodgers, they can try to add a ton of pieces. They, they're the reigning champions and they're the expected team to win the division. Not to mention San Diego who let's jump into them. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games, and granted, the All-Star break was in there. Most teams have played about five games since the All-Star break, but they are now only five games back, and they've won two of three games 
against the Nationals, including a 24-8 scoring bonanza. They lost to the Braves on Tuesday night. They won their first game. They're playing another game right now. I mentioned it. There are games that are still actively going on. It's a doubleheader today. It's in the fourth inning, so technically halfway through that game. Um, and we will you know, we'll see what, what ends up happening there. They're in a delay, apparently. So that game, we may not get an update by the end of this podcast. But the Padres, if they end up winning that game, you know, if you're a Giants fan, they're inching in on you. The two teams that everybody was talking about that were going to be the class of the NL, and you come into the All-Star break, the Giants do, as the one of the top teams in the NL. And now these two teams that were supposed to be the class are right there. It's something that if you're a fan of any of the other teams in the National League, you're thinking now this is going to be what we need to chase are these NL West teams. We kind of figured that one of those West spots was going to go. The Giants, they're in a driver's seat to keep that first, second wildcard spot if the Dodgers overtake them if San Diego overtakes them. But look out, Atlanta, and this kind of jumps the gun to the NL East, they added Jack Peterson. Teams are adding players from sellers, and they're trying to figure this thing out to get themselves not only back into the conversation, but into a spot where if they have a really good August, a really good September, the Mets figure it out. If they get healthy, they figure it out. If the Phillies don't get covid and stopping idiots, we'll get to the Phillies, where if you really slow down, this turns into some sort of collapse type of situation. And I don't know, it's something where this team's pitching staff has been so goddamn good. Their offense is so much fun to watch and see them play and see how they develop. I'm like jumping, putting the cart ahead of the horse here because they are still so far ahead. The Padres, the closest suitor for the second wild card spot is the currently the Cincinnati Reds. Padres are 56 and 42. The Reds are 49 and 47. So that's a six game gap in terms of games back. So like there's some serious shit that needs to go on here. The Reds, it would be weird of them to add players. They're in talks to sell guys and try to get some assets back. Kind of almost just punt the division to the Brewers. I don't think the Cardinals are going to do that, so it probably becomes a Cardinals-Brewers kind of thing. The Cubs are starting to. They're in a lot of rumors for a lot of different players in terms of that selling spot, and we can get to that in a second. But, again, putting the cart ahead of the horse. But the Giants, if they're not careful, are in a position to see themselves potentially see this thing go up in flames. And it was an exciting story to see. And... I don't know. I don't know if you're a fan of the team. Do you want to just see it? They come out of the gate flat and you're like, you know, they really just played like shit in Jul- at the second half of July out of the all-star break and they never really could make up for it. Or do you get to September and you see what any sort of collapse could happen there? And this isn't meant to be any sort of like, oh, it's a mirror effect of what the first year under Gabe Kapler was like in Philadelphia. I'm not saying that as a you know angry Phillies fan. I don't want to see this from San Francisco of a team that's just been fun to watch and from what they've been able to do. And again, a card ahead of the horse here. The Dodgers are really fucking good. Their offense is really good. Their pitching staff is awesome. And that's with Clayton Kershaw hurt right now. The Padres, who have all sorts of injuries, but it does not seem to affect them. I mentioned it, the 24-run game the other day. Um, Really, you just need your pitching staff to get a little healthier, I guess. 
But it doesn't really matter when Fernando Tatis is mashing home runs left and right. Manny Machado's having an incredible year. And a number of different guys step up every night. Their offense is fun. They're electrifying. I mentioned it with face of baseball talk during the All-Star break talk. But it's just this team is something where for a couple different times we've seen the Padres add guys. And you wonder, is this for real? Are they actually going to do it? And now it is. And it's really fun to see. Let's jump over to the Central, though. I, I kind of alluded to it. The Reds... They're in talks of different players they could potentially sell. They're still over 500. They're ahead of the, the Cardinals. They're ahead of the Cubs. Uh, they're ahead of the Cardinals by a game and a half. It's actually the same as Cubs. They have all the same record here. Um, Cubs are just in talks of selling. The Pirates, they have players they could sell off. They have some young guys that are really exciting to watch. I mentioned that series with the Mets over the weekend where the Mets blew a big lead one night. Then the Pirates blew a lead the next day. There was a whole wild thing where there was a ball that was a swinging bunt that was maybe foul, it was maybe fair. It almost comes down to, and there's a great John Boy breakdown of this, of saying it's too close to call. The pitcher ends up swiping the ball out of foul play. That he shouldn't have swiped out of foul play, but it's too close to call. It's like the the in the NFL when they have the replay and it's the call stands on the field kind of thing of, you know, if it was called fair and then they go to replay and see it, then it's called fair. But if it's called foul and then they go to replay, then it's called foul. It's just too close to call. The umpire called it fair, but John Boy, again, makes a really good argument. If you look at the angle, it's basically the same angle we see on TV and you can't fucking tell. You know, I want to think it was foul because it was in foul territory and coming into fair territory. But if it's that sort of split second thing and that's what the umpire saw, it kind of sucks. The Mets ended up winning the game, but and they've had they've had a crazy week of blown leads, made up leads, all these crazy things. And the and we're gonna keep this in the central. This the Reds are currently playing the Mets, and it's gonna be interesting to see what Cincinnati does. It's gonna be really interesting to see what St. Louis does because these teams, Cincinnati's pitching staff is just bad. So do they just say punt it? and sell off some of their good players and see what they can get from that. I don't know who they may want to sell, but if they want to sell, I'm sure there are teams that are listening for that. St. Louis is in a position where, you know, there were expectations coming into it and their pitching staff is, you know, really faltered. And so is their offense. And, and part of that, I think, you know, I don't know if it has to do with new players and new injury or and injuries and all of this different stuff, their whole pitching staff has been pretty beat up, especially their starters. So that's a big part of it. And, and their bullpen has been too, but um, you know, is it a Goldschmidt and can't do it on their own kind of thing? Although Harrison Bader, uh, no, he's hurt right now. Never mind. Uh, Tommy Edmond though, great season, kind of underrated to talk about. But the Brewers, we keep talking about them every week. Their pitching staff has been very good. It stayed very good. And we just have to see what this team does going down the stretch. Because if they stay this way, we could see them as a two seed, almost kind of what I alluded to of a two seed that may be secretly a three seed. And they're playing a Mets Braves in some bizarro world, the Phillies. Uh, again, we'll talk about the Phillies in a minute here. Um, but they're, you know, if it's the Phillies, they're really the two seed. But, you know, the Braves who are adding pieces left and right, the Mets who, if they get healthy and figure out this wonkiness that they've had, very dangerous to see. But the Brewers, 
they're looking better and better as time is going on. And the crazy thing about this is that it's not just the names that you'd expect. Christian Yelich is still kind of figuring it out. He's had kind of a slow year. He was hurt for a little while, but is, you know, I want to say slowly, but surely getting it done, but he's still batting 239. He only has six homers and 27 ribbies. But if they get their offense gets healthy and this pitching staff stays the way that it is, if just part of the water finds its level, I know I really was hammering that in the last episode. This could be some crazy conversations that we're having in a month of where they are. And they could be a team that sneakily decides to try to add some dudes here. And we don't really realize it. And because you're expecting the big names to the big, the huge market teams, if you will. But let's get to the NL East. It's been an interesting start to the second half. I mentioned it. Juan Soto came out of the gates red hot. Four homers in four straight games out of the All-Star break. Which has never been done before in that span. The Braves added Jock Peterson. They have the best offense in the NL East with 444 runs. Which ranks kind of in the middle of the road. There's five teams ahead of them with that in the NL, but the AL has just been unreal in terms of the offensive numbers teams have been put up. Oh, actually it's fifth, I believe, but they have a positive run differential. They let up a ton of runs. It's very similar to the Red Sox, but Red Sox light in terms of that way of the Red Sox who 483 runs scored 423 let up the Braves 419 let up, but only 444 scored. So a lower run differential, but they're under 500. And I mentioned it. They're playing the Padres, so that's part of where their record is. They were one game under, another two games under. They could be three by the end of the night. Again, you'll know. So excuse any numbers that are off here. And you'll know what ends up happening with the Phillies. But let's keep this thing rolling here. The Braves, if they figure out how to fix some of their starting staff woes. And Ronald Acuna is hurt. And that, like, what a horrific injury. But he's hurt. And that certainly is going to be a storyline going forward. Of what do they do to replace him? And... How do they do that? What assets can they do? Part of that was they picked up Jock Peterson. And it was a great ad, and I think he's going to be a really welcome addition to that team. That being said, we need to see what happens with their pitching staff. Their bullpen, well, not the worst in the division, I think, outside of Will Smith, just needs to be a little more solid. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's saying something in this division. But it's... I don't, I don't know. They're they're the middle of the road of everything. They're just under 500. They're above five. They're above positive on their run differential. Um, but yeah, their bullpen, like AJ Minter, six blown saves. Luke Jackson, a few blown saves there. Will Smith's blown a couple, but the guy has 19 saves, which is you know good good on him there. Um, I don't know. I still feel like the Braves are that kind of boogeyman in the division that they. If they Cole Hamels is a guy that's standing out there, I don't know if he, the Braves were one of the teams looking at him. The Phillies were, which is why this is such a, a prominent topic for the team, or at least within the division. But if they figure out some way to add another arm, add a bullpen guy, you know, bring back Craig Kimbrell where it all started, and blah blah blah. I don't know. The Braves just feel like that boogeyman that you can't, you cannot forget about because they could really easily they could sink up on you and end up winning this division kind of not even out of nowhere because it's the division's so tight right now and the nationals you can't discount them either although 
We'll end up seeing what happens. Maybe they end up selling the Scherzer thing. We'll see if that ends up happening. The Mets, I mentioned it a little bit. They've had some really wacky games out of the gate. That weird series of the Pirates. A lot of blown leads on both sides of the ball. Um, A lot of home runs from them, which, you know, if those power numbers start to go up, watch out because that would be be crazy to see. Um, But, you know, to see what this team does is going to be really interesting. Jacob DeGrom hurt again, so we'll have to see what goes on. Carlos Carrasco, it seems like, is slowly but surely coming back to the lineup. So we'll see what he looks like on this Mets team. But they're in first place right now. And you know it doesn't seem like anybody really wants to go out and grab this thing from them. And they're playing Toronto for three games. And again, that Atlanta boogeyman, they play them five straight games next week. A doubleheader on Monday. And then four more games throughout that week, including a Wednesday night game, Thursday at noon game, which has got to suck. And then they play the Reds. We'll see where the Reds are at that point. That's July 30th, 31st, August 1st. Then they play the Marlins, and the Marlins are, you know, they did not recatch lightning in a bottle. They are in a position where they have some really fun young guys. Chisholm has been awesome, but he's hurt right now. Um, So we'll see what the Marlins end up doing. They're going to be really interesting. And now we've reached it. We're at Phillies talk. And then we'll get to the quick hits and send you guys on your way. But the Phillies come out of the gates. They win their first game, a doubleheader against the Marlins. They win it out. They actually held on to a lead. It was really fun to see. Then they get shelled in the second game, 7 nothing, And one of the quickest seven-inning games I feel like I've seen on television. I was at a golf tournament. We had a dinner. And it seemed like the first game ended. We sat down for dinner, eight, and the game was already over. It was nuts. But then Saturday, they're up to their old nefarious deeds, blow a two-run lead in the ninth inning, with Hector Neris pitching two shutout innings, by the way. But they end up blowing it, then there's this massive storm that probably most of the East Coast got hit with. If you live in the Philadelphia area, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Game gets suspended, finishes out on Sunday, JT Rumiento hitting a walk-off dinger. They end up winning the second game on Sunday afternoon, and win the series. They had then... Every single series in July that they've won, home against San Diego, in Chicago for four, at Boston for three, and then this four-game set with the Marlins. Day off Monday, they go up to New York. Aaron Nola activated off the COVID list. Oh yeah, by the way, the Phillies in a really bad spot with COVID right now. The team is less than 50% vaccinated and Alec Bohm has missed significant time because of it. Aaron Nola missed time because of it. They already have other injuries that have set them back a little bit, whether it's Sam Coonrod, who's been up and down, whether it's been now Bailey Falter and J.D. Hammer, two relievers who have actually been pretty good. Uh, J.D. Hammer, very young, but pretty promising. But they just hit the COVID list yesterday as Aaron Nola got reactivated. And to make matters worse, Zach Eflin... To start yesterday, gets put on the DL with tendonitis. Then these guys get thrown onto the COVID list. Aaron Nola comes in, starts this game against the Yankees Tuesday night. Not very good. The defense still really bad. And it's frustrating to see this team. They end up losing 6-4 to 
where the Phillies scored two runs in the eighth and ninth inning, when they were at one point down four to two, Joe Girardi, for whatever reason, kept Nola, who had been struggling all night, in and lets up a fucking dinger to Gary Sanchez. The Yankees had like four solo shots throughout the night. Fucking Elian De Los Santos, that asshole, lets up a homer. Mike Stanton hit one at some point. It just It's scarring to see how this team does it. Because they figure out ways to, new ways to, to freak you out and get you pissed off. They leave so many runners on base. People were really upset about calls, but the umpires were bad on both sides. Umpiring, I've talked about this on podcasts before, it's really bad this year. But the team now is playing the Yankees again. They have a one-run lead. It's a bullpen game, which is good luck of seeing how this happens. Um, the Yankees, I mentioned it, have their, their COVID struggles too. But the fact that Nola, a guy who looked like he was maybe turning a corner back to Aaron Nola-esque baseball, um, just didn't. He didn't look good in that first game. Had some really bad pitches. He grooved some in there, including that moonshot by Gary Sanchez. And we're going to have to see how he plays um, going forward. And now the Phillies end up playing the Braves for... A four-game set this weekend at home, then a four-game set against the Nationals. And this is some pretty serious stuff, because if they can figure out a way to win one series, split another, win both series, God forbid, hopefully split this series with the Yankees, but who knows with the bullpen game. Good luck. Seriously, you guys know how this happens. So it's either I'm pessimistic for nothing, or I was right to be pessimistic, because the bullpen stinks. We're going to have to see what happens here. Their offense, at times, has seemed better. We talked about this before the game against uh, the series against the, the Red Sox, where, you know, in one series they let up 11 runs because their bullpen's terrible. In another game, they score 11 runs. And they can score runs against the Marlins. They could score runs last night, but their bullpen just couldn't, couldn't leave them in a position that their offense, when it's trying to dig out, gave them too much to dig out of. And it's frustrating weird bullpen decisions by Joe Girardi. We will see how it goes, but these, these upcoming series at Citizens Bank Park are going to be so vital on how they go. And if the Phillies can win those and be in a position where they're in striking distance of the Mets, we'll see what happens. Again, their name is tied to a guy like Cole Hamels. They went out and saw his workout, which I don't know what Cole Hamels looks like now. He didn't play last year, and he's not on a team right now. But if he can help, and he's healthy, especially with Zach Eflin hurt, that would be great. They need to get another starter. They need another bullpen arm. Those are the first two things you need to look at if you're the Philadelphia Phillies. Figuring out the outfield stuff with Jankowski, with Odubel Herrera, who's in his fucking rehab stint with the Iron Pigs right now, and Luke Williams being, you know, Deason and trying to figure out where he could plug in. McCutcheon, if he can figure it out, could actually be a, a pretty vital part of the team. He has He's had a decent power year, just the rest of his offensive numbers aren't great. And then the defense needs to be figured out at some point because it's just been bad. It's been really bad. I don't know. There's a lot of question marks here of how they do, but they're only three games back. Only three games back. If they win this game tonight, they're two and a half games back because the Mets play today. They won. They won on Wednesday afternoon. Phillies are currently up one nothing against the Yankees, but again, bullpen game, good luck. At some point, we will know, the, the, the next talk, I mean, we will know where the Phillies are. 
and see what happens with this series against Atlanta. And, you know, we'll go from there. But let's shift over quick hitters to end the weekend. We'll be back next week. We're going to do an expansion draft preview. I did want to quickly talk about the fact that it starts pretty soon, the expansion draft on ESPN, but the picks have been leaked throughout the day of where Seattle is going in terms of different players. For instance, it's been leaked. They're probably taking Carson Twerinski from the Flyers, and people are, like, really upset about it and wondering, like, oh, what what's going on here? And to that, I only say of, I guess it's kind of good that hockey's at the point that picks are getting tipped. You know, it's happened in the NFL and NBA drafts. And part of it, there's a entertainment aspect of watching these drafts and being able to have something you can throw on and be entertained by it. Uh, but also, I guess it's good that hockey's at a point that reporters want to tip it. I don't know if they do with the NHL draft. I don't. I'm not that plugged into the NHL draft to see how well it goes. Um, But I I guess good that we're getting to a point of it. I saw hockey was talked about for a full segment on PTI where they talked about Carey Price being unprotected and whether or not he would get drafted. And it's because ESPN starting to get get the coverage. So I'm excited there. Um, We'll talk about it more in this draft expansion draft recap and probably draft recap at that point because the draft is this weekend too but the flyers picked up ryan ellis i'm very excited about that i'm sure greg and mark will find a way to you know put me down on it but it's okay it's okay um other quick hitters the name image likeness stuff in college sports um i don't think we've really gotten a chance to talk about this but coaches have come out and talked about it specifically Dabo sweeney not being a fan of it he's also specifically said that he's not a fan of the 12 team playoff to which I'm not shocked that Dabo is. He's saying that I don't know if there's even four good enough teams, let alone 12 or whatever the fuck the quote was, but buddy, this is the whole fucking problem is that with four teams, we've only made this huge polarizing skew to getting the Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama, and then everybody else void thrown into there you're at least opening up opportunities to getting that void, the gap even just filled in a little bit. And that's what the difference is. And him talking about the name image likeness stuff. Everybody was thinking, Oh, he's got to retire. You said he'd do that. They paid the players. You know, I, I don't think he, he's not going to, obviously he was being sarcastic, but it's, it's good that players are at least able to profit off their name image likeness. And they're able to do, they're able to do these sort of, endorsements and all that sort of stuff. Nick Saban said that his quarterback is making over a million dollars, which is awesome. It's awesome that that's happening. And I don't know. It's, it's really great to see. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Our football coverage is coming up soon. So keep an eye out for that. Um, the Bucks won the NBA title last night, Tuesday night, the 20th. Good for them. Giannis with a 50 burger in the final game of the finals, which is just incredible. Also incredible defensive performance. Just block left and right and it was really cool to see it's it's always fun to see a team win on home court especially last year with the bubble see that happen we got to see it with tampa doing it as well and i don't know that it's one of those things where you know looking back on it with the sixers and them losing to the hawks and everything and it's a little different than two years ago where they lose to the eventual champion who you know i don't want to like throw out injuries or anything but at least the bucks made up for it and their superstar had a great game and he had a great series and 
I don't know. This is, I'm like Jerry from Parks and Rec where they let him talk too long and I'm starting to trip over themselves. This is me trying to talk about basketball without my wife or any other basketball experts out there. But the final thing, the Olympics start on Friday on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. I'm very excited for the Olympics. They've technically already kind of started. We have like preliminary rounds of events and the women's soccer tournament started. We apparently lost to Sweden today, which not good. 44 match winning streak or undefeated streak um, because there were probably ties in there. I don't know. Uh, But that went away after that. I don't know if this is something where they're trying to conserve energy before the knockout round and it's just something where Sweden had an upstart chance to make an upset, and they did. And, you know, good for Sweden there. You know, I would still hope for gold from our ladies and, and see how the women's team does. Uh, same thing with the basketball team, the U.S. basketball team losing to Nigeria and, and a couple other weird matchups that they've had throughout the uh, preliminaries going to the Olympics there. They have a weird COVID thing that... You know, I didn't really dive into it with the Phillies with the 50% thing. At least NBA players are getting vaccinated. The Phillies, the guys making personal choices. Your personal choice is now affecting the fucking team. So get vaccinated. Uh, but the, the Olympics are going to be awesome. I'm really excited for it. It's kind of concerning with all the COVID stuff um, and how bad of shape Japan has been in. And, you know, I just hope it goes off without a hitch that people aren't you know, being safe and aren't being irresponsible. I think it sounds like it's going to be a complete lockdown. It's going to be a complete bubble. It, it appears, which kind of sucks, but also I guess, you know, every other sport had to do a bubble. So I guess the Olympics have to, I'm really curious of what like the NBA players are going to think of it. Cause they had to do it last year and now they have to do it again. And same thing with WNBA players that are going to be on the women's national team for that tournament and probably women's soccer players. Yeah, women's soccer had a bubble. Um, bubble so long ago, it feels like. But that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening to this episode. If there are any technical difficulties in there, we had a little snafu with recording. So if there's any cutouts, apologize for that. But I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Leave us a five-star review. The Bullpen Cart, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thunderblog Sports on Instagram. The Bullpen Cart Facebook group, which I'll start posting questions and collecting questions more, especially with football starting to come back and that ramping up. Maddie D and I are going to sit down this weekend, maybe next weekend and start to really discuss football previews. So get ready for those expansion draft tonight. You already know how that went, but we're going to have a recap for it probably next week. MLB trade deadline coming up. It's going to be awesome, but I am the G man. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend and let's go Phillies. Bullpen, don't fuck it up.